Torah isn't education, it's transformation. This is Chai Chinuch with Rabbi G. 101.9 Chai Chinuch with Rabbi G. We are back as we do every Monday between 2 to 3 where we discuss education, we discuss Chinuch, and we discuss how to be better people, how to make the world a better place. And in between, what do we know and what can we do to make our lives better, our families, our communities, our friends, our country, and the world starts from the individual and spread out. And we talk about different topics that we have about how to improve ourselves and in our community. And today we have a fascinating guest here on the show, actually two guests, because I had to ask her to join as well, as I feel that it's completely important. So today's topic, as you've seen on social media, if you follow, and on the WhatsApp group that you are able to get to notice notifications ahead of time. And by the way, this is the time to say, if you do want to, please send the SMS to the radio. 34519 is the SMS line or 061-895-1019 is a telegram. Telegram 061-895-1019. Okay. So today we are discussing the process, how we process information. How do adults deal with it? How do children deal with it? Do we deal with it differently? What are the, um, what is the impact that we have in our brain in academics and learning and communication and connecting to people and on a mental level, on a physical level? And for that, we have today Dr. Tsion Zibli. Dr. Tsion Zibli is the head of the neurosurgical unit in Sheba Hospital in Israel, in Tel Hashomer, and he is as well known very well around the world with his research in movement and the brain and many different uh, areas of expertise that he's in. So we're going to be discussing t- with him today a bit about the brain's developments, what we can do to help our children develop their brain better, what do we need to look out for, what is the unique situations that we need to focus on uh, in today's day, um, are we still seeing effects of post-COVID, etc. And you know what, I could talk so much about the uh, topics, but let's just go straight into it. Good afternoon, Dr. Tsion Zibli. Thank you so much for being with us. Hey, good afternoon. How are you doing? Thank you, thank you for the invitation. And Naomi, thank you so much again. So it's it's, oh, it's a pleasure to have you. And Naomi, before you say anything, I just will introduce you as well. Um, Naomi Hadar, she is the CEO of Sheba Friends in Africa. And maybe, you know, before we go into the interview, Naomi, just um, introduce yourself and tell us a bit about what you do in as Sheba uh, Friends organization in Africa. Thank you for inviting us, and we really appreciate it. Um, I uh, represent Shiba in Africa, and our goal is to expose Shiba Hospital to South Africa and the rest of the continent. Uh, as you know, our hospital is in the top 10 best hospital in the world. And uh, we are doing a lot of outreach program. It's not only to save Jewish life or to save the Israeli life, but part of our tikkun olam, part of our mission is to help wherever we can. And if you know that lately, a big uh, delegation from South Africa, from South Africa, from Sheba went to uh, Turkey and actually in 24 hours, we saved life more than all the rest of the uh, delegation that had been there because we are well equipped, we are um, very uh, competent and we know what we're doing. 
And one of the biggest things that Shiva is well known is the innovation. And that we are also, again, one of the best in the world. And we try to do collaboration between South Africa or Africa Hospital, University, um, the rest of the medical uh, staff and the rest of the innovation. And we are actually doing amazing, amazing job. Amazing. Thank you so much for organizing and being with us today. Uh, you know, you, you represent uh, Sheba as in Tel Shomer as a hospital, but I remember from my visits there, it's more like a city. It's a huge place, uh, very well known and very well respected in the world. And it's a huge honor to have you on the show together with Dr. Tzion Zibli. So uh, let's start direct to into the discussion and speak to the, you know, let's start with the day-to-day life. As parents listening, our listeners are generally raising their children, you know, want to care for them, want to look out for them, want to know they're developing well. And, you know, from what we see, the research of the brain and what we see on a very surface level, if we start, Dr. Wolf, what would you say is the challenges we're facing now and the focuses you would recommend for parents to look at when we come to making sure our children are developing Process, processes and thinking and their brain is developing properly. Doctor, we can't hear you. Can you hear me now? Yes. Perfect. Okay, thanks. So, you know, when, when I look at my kids, for example, it's much different than the way we grew up. For example, the, uh, you know, for uh, a small example, the iPhones they have. Everybody has an iPhone, an iPad, a computer. We didn't used to have this when I was a kid. So, they are distracted. Most of the kids are distracted. And if you look and really look into how many kids has AGHG, attention deficit disorders these days, I would guess between 25 and 50% of the kids, if they will be estimated probably by a physician, uh, they will be diagnosed with ADHD. So the question is, how can we prevent our kids from developing uh, ADHD? And, you know, the problem with ADHD, if you, if you develop ADHD, the road to OCD, for example, is short. So if you look at the studies that have checked uh, how many hours should your kid with the, with the iPhone or not, uh, how many hours with iPhone will uh, uh, improve his behavior, will improve his knowledge, and how many hours with the iPhone, with the iPad, with the computer, uh, would cause him damage. Okay, the that's... is not so... What? That's a question that every parent wants to know the answer to. So every two what, months what, there's a new study okay. with different numbers. Okay. This is the issue. But I think that each of us as a parent should know better when he looks at the kids and when you tell him, you know, you should leave your iPhone now and come have dinner with us. How aggressive is he when you ask him to leave his iPhone? How aggressive is he when you ask him to leave the iPad? And how well is he doing, uh, for example, with his friends? Can he sit with his friends and have a nice chat with the friends, with the family, Saturday evening, Friday evenings, without looking at the iPhone and iPad? Or is it like an OCD that he has to go on back and back to the iPhone, back and back to the applications that he has, back and forwards to the games that he's playing with his friends online, and he cannot live without it? Will he be upset? Will he be angry without it? I mean, that's the way we should 
look at it. It's really difficult to say how many hours. I think that more than one hour or two hours a day with, with, with a computer on will be something that for a kid would be, wouldn't be healthy, I would say so. Wow. Uh, so let, let's talk about practical gain in South Africa because uh, these are these are things that we all want to know. And, and doctor, it's amazing that you're giving measurement tools as saying that it's different for everybody and still look out for your child and trust your sense. Look out if he's developing any or she's developing any anxious behaviors like OCD or even almost simple as addiction. It sounds like that we need to look out how aggressive the child will become when we're starting to see. An hour and two hours a day is, is huge. When we talk about South Africa specifically, we know that in South Africa, as we struggle with crime and safety, generally kids do not go out of the house on their own. They're always accompanied by parents. They're always accompanied by adults. They're not developing their pairs with friends their age, except for school. School is happening, but besides school, when unless there's an arrangement that the mother takes the child to another friend or drives them places, there's always adults around. There's not huge numbers of kids, and there's not the sensory input that we'd see in other countries like running in parks and riding your bike in the street on your own. It's very, um, you know, very protected and sheltered. What would you say would be, and, and I'd say this is probably two separate questions and we could deal with them differently, Number one, the lack of sensory movement, the lack of physical movement, the lack of exercise, the fact that kids are always going by car everywhere and, and coming back and not really physically getting tired by the end of the day, allowing the brain to rest. The second question would be more, how does the development change by being around adults consistently and the kids not spending their free time with their peers, their age, but more around adults that... Sometimes I hope the listeners are not listening, but sometimes could be quite depressing for a child. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, doctor, about those two answers. I do have to just uh, ha before we go to the answer, I just have an announcement and then we will come back to these two questions uh, with you, Dr. Tsion Sibley. Hi, FM, your station of choice since 2008. 101.9 Chai FM Chai by G. We are back in the middle of a fascinating discussion. I'm here with Dr. Tzion Zibli, who is the head of the neurosurgical unit in Sheba Hospital in Tel Hashomer in Israel, and a very well-known brain researcher involved in different projects. And I have to say, before we continue the two questions that I asked right before the break, I'm getting quite a few questions from listeners, so please feel free to ask. We will try to get through all questions. 34519 is the SMS line. 34519 is the SMS line. Telegram is 061 Dr. Tzion Zibli is here with me. Thank you so much, doctor, for staying with us. So right before the break, you mentioned the you would consider an hour to a day for a child on a device, on a screen, as unhealthy, which is, uh, I think, very far from the reality that we're in and something we need to address. And I asked you, when we look at the South African culture of kids always being supervised by their parents, considering that they don't have the freedom to run in parks and run and, and get the, the physical input out, what do we need to look out for and how do we... How do we, I'd say, compromise for it? How do, what do we do to add and, and cover that gap for their kids and the brain? And also the fact that they're always around adults. Uh, yeah. What would you say? So I would start from the second question first. You're asking about physical activity, basically. 
Yes. I mean, the kids today, you said that they don't go to the parks, they don't run, they don't do a lot of things. So, you know, th- this answer was, I mean, this, this question was answered years ago. Uh, around five years ago, uh, in the Israel, Israeli army took all the new, uh, that were recruited when we were 18 years old and they tested the arteries to see if there's any cholesterol plaques. So 18. And you know, in Israel, when you're 18 and you're joining the army, you're supposed to be as healthy as you can, right? Right. Healthiest. You will not be more healthy than you are 18 when you're joining the army. As we say, profil tishim v'sheva, we try to get. Profil tishim v'sheva. Okay. And they, they discovered something which was amazing. When you're 18 years old, and this was published in the New England Journal of Medicine, which is a very important journal of medicine. Since you're 18, you already have cholesterol plaques in your arteries. Okay? Wow. So the, the diseases that are caused by cholesterol plaques in the arteries, whether it is the carotid arteries, whether it is the coronary arteries of the heart, starts years ago. So if you are a kid and you don't do any physical activities, you're in problem by now. And you should add to it obesity, diabetes, and hypertension. And we see the seeds when these kids do nothing while sitting at home. So I don't know how you can solve this problem back in South Africa, but this thing should be solved only in the terms of physical activity. Now, physical activity is not only physical activity, okay? It's also activity of the mind. It's, it's, it's how, well, how healthy is your mind is. When kids interact with other kids, they what they do, they change the facilities of the mind. Like when you take a kid which is very active with his friends, not only physically, like meeting with friends, talking with friends, and you check the circuits in the brain, which area of the brains are more active, which areas of the brain are less active, you can actually see that people who grew up in a community, in a community, the plasticity in the brain and the executive parts of the brain are more active and are less heterogeneity in the brain than kids who grew up or adults grew up without the community. For example, I don't know if you heard about it, but there's a, there's, there's a term in medicine which is called the blue line. You know what is the blue line? Uh, what, what would it be for our listeners? So the blue line, years ago, people, you know, the question, how come people in Japan, in Greece, live longer than any other area in the world, right? Okay. So the question, is it the Mediterranean diet? I don't know. It is the Japanese diet? We really don't know. So people go, go went and, and checked. How come people in Japan live longer than in for example, in South Africa, how come people in Greece live long, longer than in Israel? And they checked. And it wasn't only the diet. It was the community that they live in. It was the interaction between people and the neighbors. It was the interaction in school. It was what happens if you get sick? Does the neighbor come and ask how you're doing or not? And this is the main thing that changed the quality of life, the longevity, uh, how we treat people, how do you treat old people? And this is Something that is established when you're a kid. The plasticity of the brain, the executive part of the brain, what we call the, me- the medial orbital frontal gyrus of the brain, who is in charge of the way we interact with people. This is the part of the brain who is bigger in kids, who have more interaction when they are kids, and smaller when you do an MRI exam to kids who do not interact with other people.
Now you're asking me about how many hours, again, I'm returning to this, how many hours should we let the kids sit in front of the computer, sit in front of the iPhone? The minute you can see that the kid is distracted from all other aspects of life when you tell him to stop using the iPhone and and you think there's a reduction of this quality of life because he's doing too much with the screen, this is the time that you know that your kid has a problem. And this is the time when as adults, as parents, we should interfere and change the way they behave on daily activities. It's difficult, it's not easy, but once you do it, after a few weeks, it's like, just like, you know, addiction, the kids will feel much better. You'll see, Everybody you'll, will feel much you'll better. see the reaction right away and you'll see that the kids is functioning and, and communicating better. So, well, so many questions are coming up from what you were saying. So, uh, again, reminder, 34519 is SMS line or 0618951019 is a telegram. Any questions you have to Dr. Tzion Zibli from Sheba Hospital in Israel, who is the head of the neurosurgical unit at Sheba. Uh, when you say about kids developing their brain as they interact with other kids, would they get that development and interaction through social media or only if it's actually physical meeting and discussion in a direct way? So I think it's also from social media, but unfortunately nobody really checked it, you know, truly because it's really difficult to, to know exactly to which, what contents are you watching, right? Nobody knows exactly what you're doing. If you have like, if you interact with your phone for five hours, I don't know what, what, what is the content that you, that you are seeing. But there was a trial that was done years ago at Yale. What they checked was they took twins, whether it's, it's two boys, two girls, no matter, which were separated, okay, and grew up in different families. And there was a trial, like identical twins, okay? Like basically okay. identical twins have the same genomic, right? Mm-hmm. So there shouldn't be any issue with the way they... They, they grow education, how smart they are, how well they do in school, right? Basically, because the genes are the same. But what came up from this study was that the community and the house where they grew up really changed the way they behave. Some of them went to be like criminals, they went to be physicians and etc. How well they perform in school was completely different. So I think it's a combination of what they see online and also the communication they have with friends. And with the family, like physical communication also. It's not only what you do online with the computers. It has to be physical interaction between kids. This is what, what helps the spasticity even more than what they do online. Okay. But they do get some, you know, they do, they do get some also good things from online because what they see online is something that the parents cannot give them today, like, you know, uh, data, a lot of data they can, they can uh, consume uh, uh, from uh, online which the parents cannot give them. So I think it should be a combination, less online, more with physical uh, communication, physical contacts between uh, kids and parents and et cetera. Okay. And then we, we obviously are wondering the concern when a child is getting unbelievable amount of data and too much data per se, is that something that could also compromise his categorization, you know, prioritizing, managing the information when there's so much information or the having loads of information does not compromise or slow down that processing and categorizing. So, you know, the thing with having so much data, 
there's something good and something bad. Having having a lot of data is always good because you can learn a lot, right? Like the kids now, our days know much better than I do. Or than, I don't know about you, but my kids know much <laughs> much more than I do. Uh, my kids at uh, least think they know better than, no, they do. <laughs> they do. No, they do. I yeah. think, I, I'm sure that they do. I'm sure that they do because the, the, the data that they consume is, it's huge. The, 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 the amount of data they have online is huge. But again, okay. I think that it's, an, it's enhancing. It will help them to perform better on daily activities as long, as long as they don't have this tendency to do things Again and again and again because they saw it online. And again, as long as it, does, it doesn't disturb them from all other aspects that we know that are good for the kids, especially from communication with other kids, which is not only online. Once your kid cannot develop a conversation with an adult or with somebody who is at his own age, this is an issue. This is a problem that the parents should address. And that, with, with that information and in the, interesting, you mentioned the repetitive behavior and getting stuck somewhere, which could be also connected, as you're saying, doctor, with the, uh, loads of data and managing the process that information and, and managing it mm-hmm. appropriately. Okay. A few more questions coming in and wondering, we speak a lot about kids being on the devices and screen for so long, what it does to their brain. What does it do to adults when we have an adult that is spending so many hours on his device? It's, it's the same. I think it's the same. I think it's the same. Adults who are exposed too much to screen also become more aggressive. Uh, and you can see that our days, uh, all over the world, I think, not only in Israel, I don't know about South Africa, but here people are more aggressive, more angry. Uh, I think it's the same for others also. And, and, and you can see the number of patients who are, 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 are leaning more and more towards getting uh, what we call CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy, it's it's enormous number of, of adults also are going to get their therapy increases with time. I think it's also has to do with the screen hours as we call it. So so the feeling that adults have that we can do what we want and it's the kids that their brains are so fragile is actually a myth. Or in a way not as no, accurate think, as think, we want it to be. Not as accurate, but we we do believe that kids are more influenced by that than adults because mm-hmm. of this plastic the plasticity of the brain, development of the brain. Okay. I'm, I'm getting a question on a different side of our conversation completely, uh, completely on a different topic, which I think is also very important from a, um, a middle-aged woman asking about what can she do for her parents as she's very worried. One of her parents, um, is developing dementia and developing stress. What can she do to help them stimulate them? And if there's any prevention tools that children could be supporting their parents in order to keep them in a better focus and maybe delay any diseases or any challenges. So for dementia, we don't have any solution by now. No medications, of course, that we can help them with. I think like general, generally speaking, just like physical activity, it's the only thing she can do. Uh, I don't know if it will do good for them, but I... There's nothing else she can do. Unfortunately, there's no medication. There's nothing. There's no like brain training that she could do for her parents. If that's what she's asking, unfortunately. Okay. So I don't have any. Even even if it's before any development of the disease. So anything that yes. as parents are getting older, it's just physical activity and getting the movement. Um, yes. Even the social wouldn't uh, affect that much. No. No. One the one the, prog- one the one the process of dementia starts. There's no way you can stop it. 
there's no way to anticipate it and there's nothing you do, you can do to prevent it. Okay. Which is extremely, extremely challenging. Okay. So let's, let's continue about a bit more into the effects of trauma. I know that South Africa and Israel uh, are very different in the different traumas that we suffer. Uh, however, uh, when we look at the South African community and what we're going through here, many times we have, see kids that are exposed to trauma, to crime, to friends of them that they heard that they were involved in crime, consistent fear, uh, worries, etc. How do we handle and I'm not talking about it from a therapeutical level. Obviously, as therapists, we do what we need to do, and, and the therapist uh, will address it. But as a parent and as a community member, what can we do for our kids, for our community, to have a healthier reaction to trauma and address trauma within the community? So, you know, you say it's different between Israel and South Africa. I think it's quite similar. Okay. Uh, it doesn't matter which kind of crime you support you know, like you suffer from crime is a crime no matter what happens i think it's support the way to support kids it's what we do in israel it has to be a supportive community it has to be something that will give the kids a feeling that they have a safe community it has to be something that the kids they know that can they can address you they can ask you questions you can give them the right answer like for example we have a hotline for trauma victims I don't know if you have it in South Africa or not. Yeah, thank God that's a, you know, the yeah, basic. So it's, it's, it's all about the basic things in life, like to be supportive, to give them the safe, the, the, the feeling of safety in life. That's the, the basic thing you should do. I don't, I don't think that anything else would be better than those two, three things that I, what I told you about. I think trauma is a trauma. No matter why you suffer from the trauma, whether you're in South Africa or in Israel, trauma is a trauma for kids. And, uh, the feeling of safety, this is the most important thing that they should feel in the like, supportive community. This is the most important thing. How would we identify yeah. trauma? If a parent doesn't know that their child has suffered trauma and the child is th- starting to show distress and one teacher is saying, <coughs> oh, maybe the HD and the other t- teacher is saying, I think you should look into theory of mind and communication and perhaps maybe there's a trauma in background or change of behavior. What would you recommend to kind of know where to start finding your feet in exploring this? So, few basic things. Changing the pattern of sleep, whether the kids start to sleep more than he did before or less than he did before. Okay, both ways. And some basic aspects, like if you be, start behaving like in compulsive ways. Okay? Like, you know, going to the shower a few times, uh, washing his hands too much, uh, repeating the questions so, uh, more than frequently, he doesn't want to go to school, doesn't want to meet friends. Everything that changed in the daily activities that the kid did before should be like a red light that something happened. A kid doesn't behave uh, differently because, I mean, out of the bloom, as we say. Something has happened before that. Like a kid can develop OCD, but it's very unfrequent that the kid will, behave, will develop OCD, for example, when he's 16 or 17 years old out of the room unless something really happened before. So these are the things that should uh, worry you more and more. Spending money, which you didn't do before, or stop spending money, which you did before. Stop eating friends. Like activities of daily living. If they changed, something happened. Okay, if there's an immediate change. We do, uh, there's another announcement that I have to do, and then when we come back, I will, 
would like to speak to you as well about when it comes to panic attacks with children that suddenly are developing them, what would be the route to start addressing uh, cognitive uh, CBT, uh, CBT like you mentioned, or other ways, and especially for parents, as well as the impacts of COVID, considering everything we said and living in a community that didn't have schools for over six months and that the kids were completely isolated for a very long time. Uh, what would be the, um, the impacts and are there things we can do today to try to cover those gaps for the kids that were very young during COVID time? So a short uh, announcement and we will address these questions. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. 101.9 We are back in the middle of a fascinating discussion, I have to say, and the feedback is amazing, a fascinating discussion here with Dr. Tzion Zibli from Shiva Hospital in um, Israel, in Tel Hashomer. And we've discussed right before the break, we started touching base on panic attacks with kids that are suddenly Sometimes we don't even know to call it a panic attack, but the kid says, I'm worried something bad is happening, I'm, I'm, something's going wrong. He could even have a physical reaction of tensity, etc. What would we start addressing when a parent says that their child is starting to present these symptoms? So, you know, the most important thing is to get, you know, like, uh, uh, real help. It doesn't, you know, it's not enough that the parents think that uh, something has changed with the kids. It, he has to consult with somebody who knows what he is doing. For example, I know it works, I don't know, I do, do not work, know how it works in South Africa, like psychologists, psychiatrists, I don't know how the AGMO work is like in South Africa, but getting real help is the most important thing. Examine the kids to see is he on drugs? Did he take any drugs? Did somebody of his friend give him any drugs? You can never know. Uh, did he go, anybody assaulted him? Like, you know, physical assault. Sexual assault, nobody can tell exactly. So we should, we should refer, the kids should be referred with their parents to get real consultations. Uh, and I think the next step after, you know, uh, proving that uh, nothing has happened uh, in terms of assault or uh, drug consumptions, alcohol, etc., the next step, w- the next step will be getting uh, what we call CBT. You talked about it before, which is a con- cognitive uh, behavioral therapy. And medication is only the second line of therapy. Like only if CBT fails, I think uh, medication is the second line uh, of the therapy. Other therapies like surgery is only the last resort. Uh, like you know, deep brain stimulation, implantation of electrodes, it's only the last resort that we do for kids uh, with the psychiatric disorders. Uh, I think CBT most of the uh, will do the work with these kids. Uh, we'll have to uh, identify. Uh, the cause of the reaction of the kids, uh, treat it, get the kids far away from this uh, uh, thing that's causing the, 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 the disorder, uh, uh, and CBT. CBT is the key. Uh, you know, identification, diagnosis, and then the CBT. Okay, amazing. As parents and the community, can, covering the gap of COVID, if we look at kids that were going through lockdown, and I'm sure this is a... Big discussion that's been happening everywhere uh, that have been in lockdown for six months over here without social interactions and sometimes even much more. How did that affect their brains, the lack of social communication, the, the fear in the beginning, the worries, and what can we do to actually, you know, support them and, and maybe maybe cover that gap if we can? What are, what are the ways that we should adapt with our different age groups of kids? So we did. 
it did impact the way the kids behave. Uh, they are more aggressive. They are more violent. Uh, and I think the only way, again, to cover this gap is to have the kid be exposed more and more socially to friends, uh, to, commun- to the community. Uh, and I think, you know, kids do adapt really fast. Uh, the spasticity is really something important in kids. And I think the more we, uh, we compromise, we, 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 we compromise for this by exposing them more and more to the, to the community, to, to the other kids in school, for example, who will gap the difference that they had in uh, doing this six months or one year of lockdown that you had in uh, South Africa, just like any, any other place in the world. Right. Consistently. Okay. Another topic yes. that's coming in that we, we, uh, need to address is with, regarding looking at the balance of protecting our kids and at the same time having normal interactions. Meaning, if we take an example of uh, this topic right now, a child who unfortunately has suffered a concussion, a trauma. So they were riding their bike, they fell, they banged their head, or whatever example it could be. They got hit in the head, they had a concussion. And the general feeling out there would be that uh, the recovery would be for a period of time. However, if before the recovery completes, the child gets another concussion or another hit or something, another accident or whatever, uh, um, it will take much longer for the brain to heal. Um, and I'm wondering where that balance comes uh, as a, one of the parents has asked me, saying that, you know, on the one hand, I want to protect my child and say that until he gets full feel- healing, I will not let him ride his bike. I will not let him go out. I don't want him to be uh, exposed to any danger, any challenge, and just let his brain heal. At the same time, not allowing him to interact and to live his life and to and to be, you know, in society, perhaps we're also putting stress on him and, and damaging the development and the healing. Where would you say is the healthy balance and within protecting the healing process together with continuing with normal life. Doctor, I think we we're having a problem to hear you. Uh, okay, so okay. I think the question, it sounds like a very complicated question, but the answer is really, 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 very, very, very simple. Overprotecting the kids is a mistake. Okay, for example, if you take a kid who suffered a real, like, you know, head trauma, you know, and he goes to rehabilitation. The first things that we do in rehabilitation is trying to get the kids back to normal activity. Getting the kids to ride back their bicycles with the helmet this time, not without the helmet. Getting the kids back to play football with the kids without a helmet. So it's a mistake to overprotect the kids. You cannot protect the kids too much. Rehabilitation, fast rehabilitation, Going back to normal track of life is the best things that as parents we can do uh, for our kids. There's nothing much that we can do uh, in protection, but over being being overprotected is a huge mistake. Getting back to normal life, to basic activities is the best things we can do for kids after trauma. It's a very okay. simple explanation. Okay, so we do need to stay in for a break. We do need to take our last break for today. I, I, I'm left with so many questions, so many things. However, we, we are getting towards the end. So we just have our last short break and we will be back for the final questions of the hour. 
um, here with Dr. Tsion Zibli. A short break, and we will be right back. Hi FM, one hundred and one point nine megahertz of life. We are back in the last final minutes of today's interview with Dr. Tsion Zibli, who is the head of the neurosurgical department at Shiba Hospital in Tel Hashomer. Fascinating discussion. We didn't cover uh, close to all the questions that I had and everything we wanted to. And I had to choose kind of the last question for the hour. And I'm actually going to choose from a mom asking about a young girl who is having consistent nightmares at night and they don't know she doesn't remember anything at night she wakes up screaming not knowing she's telling her parents everything's okay she has no idea it's been happening for years any work with therapies not hasn't led to anything any ideas of what could be explored further when it comes to a young girl having horrible nightmares at night but she's not remembering a thing and she's behaving normally during the day um, okay, I, I think we should talk about it and, and personally because I don't think it's something that I should, you know, address online. There's no general. It would be irresponsible uh, for me to say anything about it uh, on the radio. Okay. Okay, so there wouldn't be like you a general tips she, uh, protocol to... Can, yeah, she, you can give her my email. I can address whatever she wants. But generally speaking, she, should be, she, she should address like a help. She should get like a real a professional help, not online. I will be happy to do it if you give her my email, but not on the radio. I don't think it would be responsible for my side, not for your side also. Okay, perfect. So if the listener wants, just send me your email and I'll connect the yes. the doctor with, with you. Okay, that's great. You know, running out of time, uh, what is the message that you would say for today's parents on a very general level? Something that from your work, what you're doing to save the world, literally, and to help people out there as parents today with all the challenges, with all the uh, academic issues and the remedial issues and the special needs and the challenges, what is the message that we can look at to raise healthy families, healthy communities, healthy countries, and our job within that space? I think that today's world is much better than the world we had as the kids. I think the data that we can gather at SID is huge. The information we get online is huge. It can be useful. Our job as parents is to protect the kids, uh, protect the kids from the dangers of uh, of the websites. Uh, we should protect the kids to see that they are not distracted. We should protect the kids to see that they are not developing any violent, aggressive behavior. Uh, and let them be exposed more and more to more and more kids in the surrounding to do, you know, more and more physical activities. Not protect, not do overprotecting, just as I said before, being overprotective is a mistake. It's a huge mistake. Uh, and I think this is, I hope, I don't know if I did it correctly with my kids, but I think this is the key for developing uh, healthy kids without any stress disorders, without OCDs, um, you know, the usual stuff, be with the kids more and more, expose them to the families and friends. One hour, you said two hours is too much, so one hour online would be more than enough for the kids. Uh, Shabbat, okay, rest in Shabbat. We, we, we be with the family in Shabbat. I think it's important a day in a week to be with the families is something that is huge for the kids. They will uh, remember it for life. They will take it on to, to their kids. 
And I think this will help them a lot with their quality of life. Amazing. Uh, but please don't be don't be overprotective with the kids. Being overprotective is a mistake. Be balanced and normal. So, doctor, one more last yes. question. I, although I was going to wrap up, and I do need to. Um, one more last question that's coming, and I think is very important for many parents. Actually, are you seeing a difference when it comes to screen time between computer games, videos, uh, movies, cell phones, um, TV, etc.? Different things that have more impact, less impact, more worries, etc. Yes. So if you look at, you know, boys and girls, okay, this is the difference. Like boys do more gaming online and girls watch more movies, TikToks. And you can actually see that games, especially boys play with, you know, violent games, shooting, killing, stabbing, etc. They tend to be, to, to be more uh, violent and more aggressive than girls. This is the reason. I think that games, especially, uh, you know, uh, combat, combat games are more dangerous to kids especially boys, and we can see, we, we, we actually see it uh, here uh, on a daily basis. Uh, kids are exposed more to violence and they become more aggressive at home. I think this is the main key between uh, gaming and just, you know, other things like movies online, etc. Because of the content or because of what the game does to the brain or both? It's both, the content, the content of the game. Okay, amazing. Dr. Tsion Zibli, thank you so much for being with us. I think it was actually fascinating. Thank you to Naomi for the amazing work you're doing here in Africa. And really, what Shiba's doing as a local hospital is amazing to see the impact on the whole world from a, a, a sitting in one country and, and really helping throughout the world is really fascinating. It's been a pleasure having you today. And I really hope we have another opportunity. 101.9 We have come to another show. Great show has come to the end. We will be back next Monday, 2 to 3. As usual, we will discuss Chinuch education and everything else to improve our lives. And in the meantime, stay safe and we will be in touch.